Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, and welcome to The Other Half. Episode 2.38, Missy of Edinburgh, Living in Memory of the Past. I hope that you all enjoyed my conversation with Ellen Alpstein last week. It was nice to be talking Russian history again. But today we're back with Missy, with the final chapter of her story. In the last episode proper, we saw her adapt to post-war life in Romania, travelling around the great cities of Europe and North America, marrying her children off to local kings and princesses. She also saw her eldest son, Carol, once again renounce his inheritance to marry an unsuitable woman and go live in exile in Paris... And then finally, she saw her husband die in 1927. Today, we will see her live through some of the most tumultuous times in the Kingdom of Romania's short history, as the Regency Council, ruling on behalf of her grandson Michael, struggled to keep control, and her exiled son Carol plotted his return. But before we get going, I'd like to thank my Patreon supporters who keep this show going. In particular, I'd like to thank Beck, Bridget and Emily, who have all joined in the last couple of weeks. If you too would like to support the show, then head on over to patreon.com forward slash the other half podcast. To all my new listeners, welcome. To the rest of you, welcome back. Although he had been ill for some time before his death, Nando had left no proper will. Perhaps he felt that, since the succession was decided by Act of Parliament, it was not necessary. If you recall, it had been agreed that a three-man Regency Council would represent the six-year-old king before he came of age. They consisted of Missy's son, Prince Nicholas, Miron Christea, the Patriarch of the Orthodox Church, and George Buzdugan, Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. This left no particular role for Missy. 
one then might have expected her to concentrate on her grandson, King Michael, but her daughter-in-law, Princess Helen, rather kept Missy at arm's length. The Regency Council was a motley crew, none of them particularly suited to the task at hand. Prince Nicholas was a charming man, but thoroughly irresponsible and uninterested in the task of governing. He was a navy man, and would much rather be at sea than governing a country. The Patriarch was, um, not exactly the moral exemplar of a man of the cloth, preferring to chase women than undertake his many responsibilities. This left only Buzz Dugan, but there was only so much that he could do with the other two shirking their duties. Now, this might have been okay if the Romanian government had retained some stability, but that wasn't the case either. In November 1927, just four months after the accession of the boy king, Prime Minister Jan Bratenau died. He had served ten years as Prime Minister, split over five terms in office since 1909. And while he had not always seen eye to eye with Missy, they had been ever-present figures. He had been a colossus at the top, and his domination meant that there wasn't a great yield of potential replacements. His death, therefore, only deepened the political vacuum, and this was precisely what Prince Carol was waiting for. He and his mother had somewhat mended their relationship that had been broken ever since he had run off with Yelena Lupescu to live in Paris. Although he was frequently a disappointment and had broken her heart more than once, Missy loved her son and could never truly abandon him. Carol made her believe that he was truly happy in exile and only wanted to mend relations, when, in actuality, he was plotting a coup. His main partner for this first attempt was the British newspaper baron Viscount Rothermere. He owned the Daily Mirror and Daily Mail, amongst other papers, and was a major supporter of Hungary. It seems then that he had struck a deal with Carol that meant that if he put him back on the throne, Transylvania would be returned to Hungary. Two planes were chartered in England to fly to Romania to drop a leaflet carrying a message from Carol to his people. In it, he claimed that he had been disinherited unwillingly, that he was the rightful king. He also gave an interview in the Daily Mirror to that effect. But as he approached the planes on the appointed day, he was intercepted by British Foreign Office officials. They stated that Britain could not allow Romania to be disrupted in this way. He was expelled from the country, leaving Carol furious, blaming his mother for the failure of his scheme. Carol's letter to her is a mess of crossed-out words and barely concealed threats. He warned her, quote, My time will come, and on that day there will be many who will be sad that they did not see the reality as it really was. I've had enough of these things, every step that is taken against me. I know it, and if till now I have not responded, it is that I was always hoping that some honest person would take measures to stop the dilapidating of the country's money for filthy things, and the first person who ought to have realised this was you. For her part, Missy was shocked and hurt by her son's actions. She wrote to her cousin George V to apologise profusely what Carol had done, but it still must have been a tremendous embarrassment. And then, to make matters worse, the Chief Justice, the only competent member of the Regency Council, died. The obvious candidate to replace him was Missy, but she refused to do so, as it would have had to mean the resignation of Prince Nicholas. Instead, the post went to a man of no consequence whose name I won't trouble you with. But the feeling around the country was that Missy had to be plotting something. She had held so much influence while her husband had been alive 
that it made no sense for her to have simply walked away. Her relationships with Liberal Party leaders like Sturbe and Bretonau meant that she was now seen as an enemy by the now governing National Peasant Party, and rumours swirled that she was plotting against them to rule herself. This, in turn, meant that the National Peasant Party began to favour the cause of Prince Carol. And this political instability was then only worsened by the Wall Street crash and the beginning of the Great Depression. Banks folded, the market for land collapsed, and foreign capital dried up. Romanians, like many across Europe, began to despair of their democratic governments that had led them to this economic collapse, and began to yearn for the days of absolute rule. Meanwhile, far from being the Machiavelli that the press portrayed her as, Missy was beginning to rather enjoy her retirement. She continued to indulge her love of travel, with her most significant trip being to go to Spain with her daughter Yelena to visit her cousin Victoria Eugenie, better known as Ana. She is the subject for our next series, so I won't give too much away now, but suffice it to say that she was currently married to the Spanish king Alfonso XIII. Their eldest son, also called Alfonso, fell for Princess Yelena, and she for him. But Missy was not keen for two reasons. The first was that the crown prince was a haemophiliac, and therefore not exactly ideal son-in-law material. And second, she did not like or trust King Alfonso. He was a man who could never keep his hands to himself, and had a litter of illegitimate children. Missy was then worried about her daughter's safety in such company. Luckily for her, though, talk of the marriage quickly died down. Another attempt to marry her daughter off, this time to a wealthy German prince, got as far as wedding planning before it was called off due to the groom-to-be's implication in a gay sex scandal. Meanwhile, Carol was still plotting. He had finally managed to secure his divorce from Princess Helen, and positioned himself as the friend of the people and the National Peasant Party. His cause was aided by the machinations of the Liberals, who openly called for Missy to get back involved in politics on their side. While Missy was still popular in some circles, the idea of her ruling from the sidelines again was not exactly relished by most of society. Carol worked carefully, positioning one of his men as Nicholas's aide-de-camp, who worked to poison his brother against his mother and his king. Meanwhile, the Prime Minister, Yulia Maniu, had concluded that his only hope of survival at the top was to back Carol. Maniu extracted three promises from Carol. First, that he would rule as regent for his son, not as king. Second, that Carol should break completely from his mistress, Yelena Lupescu. And third, that he reconcile with Princess Helen. Carol agreed to all of these demands, one imagines with two fingers crossed behind his back. He also got the support of the army. Ever since the end of the war, the common soldier had been neglected, and Carol was well respected by the common soldier and the officer corps alike, and they had faith that he would improve their lot. The stage was set then for Carol's second attempt to claim power. In June 1930, Missy went on a trip to Germany to visit her mother's grave and to see some family. Barbo Sturby had warned her not to go, that Carol and Nicholas were plotting to overthrow the king, but Missy had been assured by her younger son that he was planning no such thing. Once again, one imagines with his fingers crossed behind his back. No sooner had Missy set foot in Germany than her eldest son landed in Bucharest. After meeting with his brother, who embraced him, 
he went to the local barracks to ensure that he had their support. Then he went to the Prime Minister and told him that he was breaking his promise. He would not serve as his son's regent. Instead, he was overthrowing him and would rule as King Carol II. Maniu was shocked at this sudden and immediate betrayal and offered his resignation, but Carol did not accept it. He needed him in place to ensure continuity. Both the Regency Council and Parliament then voted to approve Carol as king. The coup was complete, and it had taken almost no time at all. When she heard about what had happened, Missy's feelings were mixed. A part of her was happy to see her son on the throne. It was, after all, what she had always wanted, and having an adult ruling as king was surely better than an unstable regency under a boy ruler. But she couldn't help but notice the way that this had all been done. In secret, while she was out of the country. It was clear that her son saw her as a threat, not as an aide. She rushed back to Bucharest to greet her son, rushing off the train to hug him. He returned her embrace, but it quickly became apparent that he had no intention of involving his mother in his administration. Her household was slashed, her aide-de-camp reassigned, and she found herself surrounded by Carol's men, not her own. He even broke the terms of his father's will by redirecting money intended for Missy to himself. By isolating his mother and cutting her off from her funding, he was removing her from the political chessboard. She couldn't even use her influence on Princess Helen, as Carol went back on his promise to reconcile with her as well. He portrayed Helen as being cold and unforgiving, and she was completely sidelined. And in her place came Yelena Lupescu, his wife in everything but name. Missy did her best to support Helen, but there was little that she could do. Her son was determined to punish his ex-wife, and did everything he could to isolate her from friends and family. Eventually, his campaign of intimidation had its desired effect, and Helen went into exile in Italy, only allowed to see her son for two months of the year. Not long after, Missy's youngest daughter, Yelena, the only one of her children to remain loyal to her, was married off to an Austrian archduke. Even Prince Nicholas was eventually pushed out. Played like a fiddle by his elder brother, he eloped with a young divorcee and was denied re-entry into the country. When he tried to come back anyway, he was arrested. Carol then was determined to keep his mother at arm's length. As noted in a report sent by the British Embassy back to London, quote, A weak character like Carol would always instinctively shrink from a strong and dominating personality like Queen Marie, who is evidently chafing under the necessity of adopting a role, the inactivity of which is so uncongenial to her tastes and so at variance with her past. Her lack of a proper role left Smithy somewhat alone and adrift. Not keen to stay long in Romania, where she was not wanted, she became a kind of royal drifter, moving from house to house all over Europe, staying with friends, family, anyone who would take her. She spent a lot of time in particular in Yugoslavia, where her son-in-law King Alexander sympathised with her plight. She also wrote to her cousin, King George V of Great Britain, saying, quote, I have never written to you lately, as my life has been very difficult and very sad. I have struggled for over two years, swallowing every unkindness, every setback, but all in vain. All mother's rights are denied to me, even the right of being loved. Lately, I have been living in a world which I no more understand and which has become very lonely. I was always a good fighter, 
but to fight against one's flesh and blood? It was therefore easier to concentrate on travel and spending time with beloved family, rather than stay in Romania, where she was not wanted. Consequently, she could not do much to stop the rising tide of fascism in Romania. Some of her old friends in the Liberal Party found themselves targeted by thugs, members of the Iron Guard, an organisation favoured by Hitler and Mussolini. One of them, the then Prime Minister, was gunned down by fascists at a train station. Missy was no lover of fascism. She was a constitutional monarchist to her bones, but the principal focus of her opposition was communism. Indeed, her greatest fault, her relatively mild for the time, but I stress, but still present, anti-Semitism, came from with her associating it with communism. Remember that she had seen family and loved ones killed and exiled by the Bolsheviks, and the Soviet Union was still the most significant regional threat to Romania. When the Romanian government opened diplomatic relations with the Soviet Union in 1934, she wrote, I think it is a huge and dangerous mistake. I certainly do not mean to receive in my house those who murdered all my mother's family. Will I also live to be uprooted and to become an exile one day, just at an age when one dreams of harvest and rest? She was then a far greater opponent of Stalin than she was of Hitler, calling him, quote, a curious figure. I withhold every judgment, but most everyone is virulent against him abroad. As time went on, and the reality of the brutal Nazi regime became more apparent, she came to more openly oppose Hitler, but she would always fear the threat from the East over the threat from the North. Something that she found solace in these days was a rediscovered faith. Missy's religious beliefs had always been something of a melange. She had been born an Anglican, confirmed as a Lutheran, then married a Catholic in a predominantly Orthodox country. However, none of these faiths really filled her spiritually, but she discovered some of the answers that she was seeking in the Baha'i faith. Baha'i teaches that all religions have a central and equal worth, something that Missy found greatly appealing given her mixed background, not to mention its central message of peace and unity. She corresponded with senior figures within the Baha'i community, and she is considered to be the first royal to convert, though she did not do so officially. She said to a friend, quote, For the first time, I have really felt religion. In the spring of 1934, Missy got an invitation to go to London for the launch of her autobiography. It was a huge hit, both in the UK and America, and wherever she went, she found people reading and enjoying it, while snobbish highbrow critics thought her observations rather shallow and undignified, they were mostly ignored. In this time, she spent a great deal of time with the royal family, including a trip to Scotland to visit the Duke of York and his two daughters, little knowing, of course, that both he and his eldest would one day become British monarchs. She wrote that, quote, Little Elizabeth is just as adorable as she was always said to be. A quite perfect child, friendly, polite, unselfconscious, amiable and intelligent, and, into the bargain, pretty. Little Margaret Rose is a replica in small, and is also a delicious child. I fell in love with the whole family. Unfortunately, 
her trip had to be cut short due to some terrible news from the continent. Her son-in-law, King Alexander of Yugoslavia, had been assassinated in France. She rushed to her daughter's side, taking with her the new boy king Paul, who was until then at school in Surrey. The funeral in Belgrade was a very grand affair, attended by all the great and good, and Hermann Goering and King Carol. She was a great support to her daughter and grandson, spending the next few months in Yugoslavia making sure that everything was in place. She, of course, had considerable experience in how difficult a regency could be, and did not want King Paul to share the same fate of King Michael. But eventually, she had to return to Romania, a country where she was not wanted or particularly cherished anymore. By now, her son Nicholas was back in the country, but his period in exile had only served to make him bitter and angry at his whole family. Missy did not much like his wife, Jean, whom she thought had an unhealthy obsession with collecting antiques. But her great frustration was directed at her daughter Elizabeth, who was in the process of divorcing her husband, King George of Greece, in order to run off with a businessman. King Carol, not to be outdone by his younger siblings, also managed to embarrass his mother, albeit in a crueler way. October 1935 would see Missy turn 60, and she was told that the Romanian people wanted to throw her a birthday parade. She wrote in her diary, quote, The whole country is celebrating the 60th birthday with special fervour, all my virtues are being raked together. Suddenly, all my faults have disappeared, and it seems I am a wonderful person, the good fairy of the country, the luck bringer, the angel of charity, the good soldier, the supreme spirit of Romanian unity. It seems then that Missy had lost none of her romantic self-aggrandizement, but Carol put a stop to it. He couldn't have his mother be loved in this way while he was still unpopular. No, that would not do at all. So he told his Prime Minister to tell Missy that the celebrations were off. What a lovely man he was. And then, the following year, he went even further. He banned his mother from having any direct contact with the Romanian government. All her communications had to go through his household. She was furious. Unable to see her son, she instead penned a 20-page letter, hastily scrawled, in which she decried that, quote, Every mortal bourgeois has the right to address himself to the authorities. And suddenly, after 43 years, I am put under tutelage. Nothing could make me accept this. Carol didn't answer the letter. He probably didn't even bother to read it. His rule, which had begun under a wave of popularity, especially amongst the poorest Romanians, was getting steadily more repressive. He was surrounded by a cabal of corrupt men whose position was owed solely to their relationship with him and his mistress. They were all lining their pockets with the hard-earned tax money of Romania, as well as its natural oil wealth. By now, his mother had very little pleasant to say about her son. Quote, He wasted and smashed and tore up by the roots. Out of jealousy, he set his family aside, hurt their feelings sacrificed them to a horrible set of low adventurers who had grouped around him and who in his name made havoc of his royalty, his honour, his chances, of the hope others had put in him. He hurt us all so much that we feel numb. We do not today know how to approach him in his mood. Today he is master and a jealous one, and worse still a man who will not shoulder his own mistakes, but who tries to throw every fault on others. Carol's inept rulership inevitably brought Romania once again to the brink of upheaval. 
The fascist Iron Guard had targeted him and his mistress, who was Jewish, and despite his overtures towards them, they remained implacably opposed. Even the National Peasant Party, whose support had been vital in bringing Cowell to the throne, lined up alongside the fascists against him. The 1937 general election produced a hung parliament with no obvious prime ministerial candidate. Carroll decided to outflank the Iron Guide to the right, appointing an even more avowedly fascist man as prime minister, and then, shortly after, dissolved parliament entirely. Indeed, the 1937 election would be the last free ballot Romanians would have until 1990. Missy was shocked by her son's turn towards authoritarianism and abandonment of constitutional government. But unfortunately, she could do little to prevent it due to her own failing health. She was initially denied access to foreign specialists, with Carol only permitting Romanian doctors to examine her. They diagnosed her with a liver condition, but they were wrong. It was in fact pancreatic cancer. Missy had been healthy and vibrant her entire life, and so the ravages of this disease hit her hard, both physically and mentally. She still, though, kept abreast of what was going on, both in Romania and in wider Europe. When, in 1938, Nazi Germany invaded and annexed Austria, she was deeply concerned for her daughter Yelena, who was living in the country with her husband. She managed to telephone her and make sure she was okay, but her blood boiled at the impunity of Hitler's actions. She spent much of the spring of 1938 trying to recuperate in Italy and then at a sanatorium in Germany. But by the summer, it was clear that the end was nigh. Even now, Carol managed to be a low-quality son. Missy had requested that an aeroplane be sent to pick her up so that she could be brought back to Romania in comfort, but he refused, insisting that she take the far bumpier journey by rail. One of her last letters was to her old friend and companion, Barbo Sturbe. He had written to her when her health had taken a return for the worse, saying, quote, My thoughts are always near you. I am inconsolable at being so far, incapable of being any help whatsoever to you, living in the memory of the past with no hope for the future. Remember my longing, my nostalgia, prayer which I constantly offer up for your health and never doubt the boundlessness of my devotion. In her reply, which would be her final letter to him, Missy wrote that there was, quote, so much unsaid which would much lighten my heart to say, all my longing, my sadness, all the dear memories which flood back into my heart. God bless you all and keep you safe. She spent her last days at home in Sinaia, with her eldest children, Carol and Elizabeth, at her side. One of her final utterances was to her eldest son, urging him to be a, quote, just and strong monarch. After this, she lapsed into a coma and then died. One foreign reporter stated that the news was greeted in the streets with, quote, a moving silence. Her body was taken to Bucharest, where, in keeping with one of her final wishes, she was greeted by a sea of her favourite colour, mauve. Dressed in that colour, a quarter of a million people crowded onto the streets to watch her funeral procession. After the service, her body was taken by train to the Royal Necropolis at Gatia de Arges. The journey took over six hours to complete, as at every town and village, people surged towards the tracks to pay their respects. She was finally laid to rest in the royal crypt, alongside her husband. Unlike him and his royal predecessors, however, she was given a very plain tombstone. Even in death, 
King Carol was jealous and fearful of his mother. Before her death, she wrote a letter to the Romanian people, which was to be published after her passing. It was long and emotional, as one might expect, and I will read some of it to you. Quote, When you read these lines, my people, I shall have crossed the threshold of the eternal silence. And yet, because of the great love which I have pledged to you, I wish to speak to you again. I was only 17 years old when I came to you. I was young and ignorant, but very proud of my country of origin. But when I embraced a new nationality, I had to try hard at becoming a good Romanian. I became yours through joy and sorrow. When I look back, it is difficult to say which is greater, the joy or the sorrow. I bless you, my dear Romania, land of my joys and of my sorrows, beautiful country which lived in my heart, beautiful country which I saw unified and that I shared the lot of for 30 years. And now I bid you farewell forever. Remember, my people, that I loved you and I bless you with my last breath. The Europe that Missy had been born into in 1875 was very different from the one that she departed in 1938. She had been born into a continent at peace, and yet, not long after she died, Germany invaded and annexed Czechoslovakia, and a year later, she was at war once again with Missy's home country. The Second World War would be disastrous for Europe, for the whole world in fact, but Romania was hit particularly hard. Carol sided with Nazi Germany in the early years of the war, but the price of that was being forced to give territory to the Soviet Union. This decision cost him the throne in 1940, with the throne being passed once again to his son Michael. His time as king, though, was dominated by fascist governments, until the Soviet Union finally forced a Romanian surrender in 1944. Michael managed to cling on to the throne until 1947, when he was forced to abdicate by the Soviet-backed communist government. He had been the last king behind the Iron Curtain. Now all that was left were communist republics. Missy had always most feared a takeover by the Soviet Union, and so it is perhaps a mercy that she died before this did come to pass. Her fervently pro-royalist and anti-communist reputation meant that her memory was damned in the decades after her death. Her excesses were exaggerated, her good deeds expunged. The fall of communism, though, has seen a rightful restitution of her place in Romanian history. She is also remembered in Ashford in Kent, the place of her birth, where a statue of her was unveiled in 2018. The following year in Paris, a street near the Eiffel Tower was named after her, in memory of her exploits during the Versailles Peace Conference in 1919. And while we will keep on remembering her, it is now time to move on to our final subject in this series. Victoria Eugenie, daughter of Princess Beatrice and the last Queen of Spain before the Spanish Civil War.
Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.